According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are once again in Proverbs chapter 13. I fixed my defective slide from last week so we can uh, proceed. Proverbs chapter 13. It's fun living in the modern world, and it's fun having cut and paste available, but sometimes uh, cut and paste gets you in trouble. Because you end up uh, pasting and then forgetting to change what you pasted when you intended to go back and change what you pasted. Right. So, uh, Proverbs 13, before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking the Father to set aside distractions, to keep the migraines away, and to bless the truth of His Word this morning. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing that it is to assemble together. Father, we call upon your faithfulness to bless our time, to hedge us about and protect us. Father, to bless the ministry of your word as it goes forth. This is uh, not an earthly activity, Father, it's heavenly, it's spiritual. We call upon your faithfulness and the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our understanding, Father, and bless our time in your word. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, as we've been looking at it, starting in verse 9, I guess, and we'll pick up here, Proverbs 13, we, uh, yeah, in fact, we talked about wealth, and we're going to have some other principles of wealth this morning. Because under point six, we looked at the principles from verses seven and eight. There is uh, one who pretends to be rich but has nothing, and another pretends to be poor but has great wealth. And so appearances can be deceiving, and we're not always looking at what we're or seeing what we're looking at. And uh, there's a contrast, of course, earthly wealth and heavenly wealth, and uh, aspects there. Verse eight: the ransom of a man's life is his wealth. And I love that. The fact is that we have been ransomed, that we have been bought, uh, not with silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so on that basis, as a redeemed one, as a ransomed one, as a purchased one, I have been purchased and the price for me was the most expensive payment ever made in uh, an infinite payment, the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so on that basis then, uh, man, what kind of wealth do I have? I am eternally, infinitely wealthy. But the poor, here is no rebuke. Verse 9, the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked goes out. Now some people have a problem with that and some of the objections to that and different aspects. I don't think the front door's got unlocked. Someone just got turned away and I hate that when people get turned away from church. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, the light and the lamp here. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked goes out. On the basis of people not liking that verse, they, um, they uh, have problems interpreting it or they try to come up with other explanations or other things. They don't like the idea that an unbeliever has light that has a lamp to begin with and uh, on aspects there. Well, there is light in the sense of common grace and in the sense of living in God's creation and breathing God's air and seeing God's light and uh, the aspect there. So I don't have any problems with that. 
Uh, we gave this as uh, last week as point seven in the outline, light and life are common parallels in Scripture. In fact, many verses and chapters will, will kind of put life and light together into a connection in different ways, uh, in uh, different associations. For example, uh, in Him was light, and or life, and the life was the light of men, we're told, in John chapter 1, for example. And a lot of times it does specify the being saved, the idea of being born again, uh, and if you've seen the light, then you, uh, of course, you've uh, been able to respond and believe and, and get saved and things of that nature. But is it limited to salvation only? Is it possible that light can be used in the unregenerate sense and as we have here, as a light that goes out? I think plainly it can and it does. And uh, I have no issues with that. And so um, the fact that we have a light and they have a light, we have a lamp and they have a lamp, and it says the lamp of the wicked goes out. So there it is. And uh, that's the, uh, the aspect of it. So we have, a right, we have a light that doesn't go out. The righteous has a light that shines brighter at physical death. And I think that's a good rendering of the English uh, from the Hebrew. Instead of rejoices, the light of the righteous rejoices. You might notice there's a footnote there if you're reading the New American Standard, there's a footnote there that says shines brightly as a footnote, as an alternate reading, as an alternative translation or a better translation. And I, and I, I think I like that better, uh, certainly as a parallel contrast with the second part of the verse, the lamp of the wicked goes out. And so two different lights, one's going to shine brighter and one's going to go out. And uh, to me that's a pretty vivid contrast between the saved and the lost. What happens at physical death? And why is it that when an unbeliever dies, you ever attend a funeral for an unbeliever? You talk about sadness. Oh my goodness. There's, there is not any comfort. There is not any joy. There is not any uh, thing to rejoice over in, in the, a funeral for an unbeliever. Uh, about the only thing you can say is that God is fair, God is faithful, and that person heard the gospel and had the opportunity to accept it and chose not to. And as sad as that is, that's the, that's the reality for those that insist on my will be done. Okay? And, uh, and so there you have it. But when the believer dies, sure there's the sadness, but there's also the glory, there's also the rejoicing, there's also the recognition that that light is now shining brighter. It's freed from the, the, the limitations of this flesh, freed from the limitations of this fallen world. Uh, no longer, uh, I mean, still, you know, we talk about being a sinner saved by grace, but we're still in a fallen body, in a fallen world. Well, guess what? You get to leave that fallen body and that fallen world behind and that light shines brighter and brighter. I do like the uh, statement in Proverbs 4.18 where we shine brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. And um, Proverbs 4.18 says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. And so it starts off very small, it starts off very dim, but it grows and it grows and it grows. And in the metaphor, of course, it reaches the fullness of the day, you know, high noon or whatever, the brightness of the day that shines brighter and brighter until the full day, the complete day, the perfect day. And, uh, and there we have, I think dispensationally, the perfect day is the fullness of time. That's the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Secondly, though, the wicked has a light, and I put it in quotes, because it's not the same as our light, but it is the light of humanity, the light of common grace in the glory of his physical life, but it is extinguished at physical death. And the light goes out, and that's what happens. 
extinguished a physical death. It's like the sad, tragic story about Lazarus carried away uh, by the angels to Abraham's bosom, but the rich man died and was buried. And that's all you can say about it. He died and was buried. All right, so that's light and life. We moved on from verses, uh, from those verses and looked at verse 10. Through insolence comes nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who receive counsel. And so the two different wisdoms that are at work, God's wisdom from above, which is first peaceful, right? Or there's the world's wisdom, that which is from below, which is earthly, natural, demonic. And where there is strife and, and uh, disorder, there's every evil thing, we have this wisdom from below. And so uh, I like uh, James 3, I turn there a lot, but when you look at verses 17 and 18 of James 3 and you see the strife and you see the arrogance and you see the, the expressions there, it's very, uh, very much parallel to the concepts that are spoken of here in verse 10. Through insolence comes nothing but strife. Um, someone that has knowledge, someone that has Bible knowledge but uses that Bible knowledge as a weapon, Right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, how knowledge puffs up but love edifies. And so minus that love, if all you have is gnosis and Bible knowledge, um, the world's wisdom is going to pervert that. How are you different from Satan at that point? You have a lot of Bible knowledge and you have maximum arrogance. Sounds like Satan to me. And uh, what comes with that is uh, strife. And and God says that's the number one thing that He hates is uh, the one who uh, spreads discord among the brethren. So um, there it is. But wisdom is with those who receive counsel. And so you have the humility of God's wisdom whereby we come together as a body and we fellowship one with another and we receive the teaching of the Word of God and uh, we're all growing together and willing to learn these lessons and all the blessings there. So anyway, we have that. Um, Last week we looked at James 3 and I won't go back and reteach that. All right. Point nine, the real point nine, not the Mistake point nine, the fake point nine I had last week. The real point nine, as we look at verse 11. uh, Wealth without work is deceptive and dwindles, whereas wealth through work is true and productive. Okay? There are things that are called wealth and they're not. Um, It is deceptive and it dwindles, it's diminished. And then there's the true wealth. Wealth through work is true and productive. And so we have both halves here of verse 11, the A half and the B half. Wealth by fraud dwindles. And this is the non-working wealth. This is the wealth that's obtained by some means other than working. And, uh, uh, and, and in some respects even, it doesn't have to be fraud. Fraud may not even be the best way to, uh, to render this because the contrast is with your own hand, he who gathers by labor, he who produces by hand, okay? And, and don't get all worked up about the hand metaphor, okay? And say, well, what if, what if I'm more of a management guy and I'm not really hands-on, <laughs> okay? That's fine, you're still doing the work, okay? That's the point. The point is that you are personally engaged and you are personally working. This is not has nothing to do with blue collar, white collar, or whether you work with your hands or you use tools. Okay, I don't use tools. All right, so it's not. Don't get over it. You got to get past the hand metaphor uh, to understand the truth of what this verse is talking about. But there's work that you're not working for. That's wealth obtained by fraud, 
And, and, and it might even be, it doesn't have to necessarily be illegitimate either. It uh, could even be in the sense of, uh, of an inheritance of somebody that didn't work for it. And they just received it. It was handed to them. Okay? And so they didn't produce it. They didn't work for it. And they have, they have the, 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 the dollars. Sure, they have the wealth, but they don't have the value. Okay? And I think that's, that's important. If we can draw a distinction between wealth and value, what's the value in producing that? What do you learn along the way? What, what, what happens in your character when you are serving as unto the Lord? Particularly when uh, the accumulation of the earthly wealth has come with the grace perspective of the will of God. So that you are generous, that you are gracious, you are not a miser, you are not uh, selfish, you are not um, trapped into, into satanic views of money. Okay, it's Because every step of the way you were giving God the glory for what He produced. Every day at work, every week at work, every year, every anniversary that comes by, you say, thank you, Father. You know, it's, it's a grace thing. And I'm not prideful about, it, about anything that, that we do. We're not, we're not plunging into, a, into an arrogance that says, well, you know, I'm a self-made man. I worked for everything I've got. And those lazy bums, they better just, you know. And you start getting very uh, jaded and you start getting very bitter and you start getting prideful. See? About, well, you know, I made wise decisions. I made smart investments. I sacrificed. I, I, uh, I was frugal with my, with my savings and my investments. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was foregoing certain things so that I could save for my future. Okay? And there is a place for that. And I don't want to, I don't want to, we have to understand that properly, even though it's, it's hilarious to me that we have a verse coming up that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Okay? And so we've got to understand verse 12, and we can't understand verse 12 in a financial way. We get confused if we, if we don't. So we'll talk about verse 12 when we get to verse 12. And there is such a thing as delayed gratification in finances, in terms of what you're saving for so that you can have a greater return later, and that's valid. That's actually economically valid, biblically valid, and, and legitimate, and we don't want to confuse that with, verse 12 is not talking about that, okay? Um, so we'll deal with that as well. But the idea uh, of uh, true wealth obtained by labor, gathered by labor, worked for in the grace of God, in the will of God, uh, learning the lessons that are, that are learned in that process, there's nothing like it. It's beautiful as God has designed. It's fundamentally why we're here. God put created Adam, put him to work, okay? He didn't take him to, you know, Harry Potter world and said, here, vacation. He put him in the Garden of Eden and said, here, work, all right? Anyway, I like Harry Potter world, but that's, uh, that's a different story. Now, um, <coughs> let's look at some of these other passages, okay? We've already had this. You might recall back in chapter 10, some of these concepts have already come across. Chapter 10 and verse 2, ill-gotten gains do not profit. You like that? It's a play on words because it is a gain but it does not profit. So how do you have a gain that doesn't profit? Ill-gotten profits don't profit. Okay, Understand it for what it is. There's in the physical sense and in temporal gains and then the spiritual sense. But righteousness delivers from death. We can appreciate that. Proverbs 20 
verses 21 and 23. An inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning. Ooh, this is dangerous. All right. <laughs> we talked about verse 20 last week too. He who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in time of darkness. These are the consequences. Um, you know, if you bless, if you uh, honor your father and mother, that's the first commandment with a promise. It will be well with you. You will live long on the earth. But if you curse your father and mother, that's, a, that's not a way you want to go. The, the physical death consequences then are not pleasant. His lamp will go out in time of darkness. An inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. You say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with this get-rich-quick uh, scheme that, that people keep trying to tempt me with? Okay, I get all these emails, and ooh, all i got to do is this, and I'm going to make that, and you know, it seem legitimate, right, from Nigeria, other places. that <laughs> <clears throat> I'm teasing, don't even open those emails, just send them to your junk bin. <clears throat> and you know, uh, you want to do it fast. Well, why? Okay? Make as much as you can, as soon as you can, so you can retire sooner. The point is not get it out of the way as fast as you possibly can so you can be done with it. Why are we here? Why are we spending, you know, are we, are we producing, are we glorifying Christ? Are, are, does that mean we're going to retire from our Christian walk as well? Okay? Now don't get me wrong, I'm not hostile to retirement, but I want to make sure that it's retirement for the right reasons at the right time with the right grace perspective. Anyway, um, there's that concept there. Verse uh, 23, um, differing weights are an abomination to the Lord and a false scale is not good. If you're cheating to get ahead, if you're uh, committing fraud in order to profit, in order to swindle a, you know, a, a unwitting customer or a business partner or whatever you're doing, um, that's not right. Okay? God didn't put us here to cheat to make money. And uh, that's not, uh, that doesn't honor him or glorify him or, or model him in any way. Remember, we are imaging God in our work. It's part of being in the image and likeness of God. God is productive, and we are to be productive. 28 8, Proverbs 28, verse 8. He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. And uh, there's some concepts here we're going to talk about as well that, uh, that relate to this in the sense that um, interest is not the same as usury. They are separate. And uh, there are misunderstandings of this that have been abused uh, by Jewish people based on the Jewish scriptures, by Christian people based on the Christian scriptures, by Muslims based upon the Muslim scriptures, the Quran, all right? And that's why you got different customs and traditions and practices there as far as, well, what is legitimate interest and what is illegitimate interest and what is usury, which is always illegitimate. And um, and the Jewish answer, of course, is that uh, they, they are not allowed to rip off a fellow Jew. They're not allowed to, uh, to have the undue interest rates and, and be plundering of their fellow Jew. That's not right. But as far as the goyim, you can plunder them all day long. Okay? <laughs> the Gentiles, you can, you can draw all kinds of interest there. 
And so a lot of banking would take place in the Middle Ages in the modern world, and here we are. But Christianity, by the way, started to evaluate this. In the, in the pre-Reformation era, in fact, in the early church, they started to evaluate this. And, and what is illegitimate and what is legitimate? And what is, if it's still your own, do you not have the right to do with your own what you will? And if you choose to invest your money in, a, in an endeavor, should you not get a return on that investment? And they believed that it was legitimate and that it was uh, biblical and that Christ endorsed it and that not all interest is illegitimate interest. And so once that understanding entered into Western Christendom, entered into the understanding of the, of the Western church, the Roman church before Protestantism, before the, uh, once that happened, man, it, capitalism took off in the Western world. It was viewed as being biblical. It was viewed as being God-ordained in, uh, in that capacity. So anyway... More on that if you want to read on that. I, I recommend Rodney Stark in the, uh, the uh, Victory of Reason and some of his other writings. All right. So that's 28.8. How about Jeremiah 17.11? <clears throat> As a partridge that hatches eggs which it has not laid. You know, this goofy bird that runs over and sits on a nest that's not his or hers, okay? Um, so is he who makes a fortune but unjustly. All right? If you didn't lay that egg, what are you doing hatching it? What are you doing raising it? What are you doing stealing it? So is he who makes a fortune but unjustly. In the midst of his days it will forsake him, and in the end he will be a fool. In the end he will be a fool. Oh, Okay, so that's a, that's a good verse there. One thing I failed to mention in uh, Proverbs 28.8, back up to that one again. Um, when you're gathering for somebody else, he who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. It's remarkable. We have this text, we have other texts, I think there's three or four of them in the Old Testament that are interesting how God allows certain people in wickedness to prosper, but then he redirects that. It's like a divine redistribution of wealth, if you will, um, that he redirects certain funds to bless believers with divine viewpoint, to bless humble believers, born-again believers in the Word of God. And uh, how God directs those things and how God arranges circumstances to provide for his own children. It is a glorious thing. And, and so if that means that you know, certain unbelievers are living it up and having fun and doing whatever, well, oh well. Does that, does that bother you in any way? <laughs> Do you go through mental attitude turmoil when you watch the, uh, the unrighteous uh, living it up and having what they call fun? Okay, not supposed to. Don't be jealous of that. All right. So gathering it for him who is gracious to the poor. And uh, well, I think there's about three or four texts that are similar in that regard that, that address that. So stay tuned. I think we'll have more of those things coming up as well. All right, so we covered, no, we still have Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2, verses 6 and 7. The last verses on this. Habakkuk. The name Habakkuk means hugger. And since I'm not named Habakkuk, I, uh, I'm not really a big hugger, but uh, he must have been. He must have been a huge hugger, and that must have been a... 
There's even legends about this because um, remember when the prophet Elisha uh, visited the widow and promised her, she said, he said, about this time next year you will embrace a son. And that verb to embrace uh, in that prophecy is connected to the, to the name Habakkuk here. So anyway, there's legends about Habakkuk being that promised son. And, and I just, I don't think I, think, I think it's a century off. I don't think the timing works well for that. But anyway, um, or more than a century off actually. But anyway, Habakkuk 2 verses 6 and 7. And uh, we get a taunt song. I like that. Um, when God uses taunts, like when He taunts Satan in Isaiah 14, or there's the taunt here. Um, let me just start with verse 4. Behold, as for the proud one, who's that? Yeah, personally it's Satan. Or, or by application it's any unbeliever, it's any believer in carnality, it's you and me when we're not thinking right and using the Word of God. So in generalities it's any of us on any given day, but specifically it is a personal rebuke against the proud one. That's right. His uh, soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. Okay, That's the context for this verse that gets quoted again and again in the New Testament. The, the righteous will live by faith. Furthermore, there's a larger context for all of this, but it's a contrast with Satan's way of living or Jesus' way of living. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. And so here you got this image of this filthy rich person that's just... Um, not righteous, his soul is not right, he's never satisfied, he's very proud, very haughty, he's, he's never at home because he's a workaholic, he's always out there, he's always on the, on the road, he's always going from one town to the next, he's always driving the next business deal. Um, never mind, you know, blessing his wife or raising his children or, or tending to, uh, to those mundane, uh, you know, such domestic boredom, Okay. He enlarges his appetite like shale, like death is never satisfied. Gathers to himself all nations. And so he's, you can imagine this multinational conglomerate endeavor of things. Collects to himself all peoples. He'd really fit in well in the 21st century. He'd be very inclusive in multiculturalism and he'd, be, he'd, be, uh, he'd fit in well. Then verse 6, will not all of these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him? Okay, And this is sanctified mockery. It's in the Bible. Okay, Sanctified taunting in, uh, in this way. And say, woe to him who increases what is not his. What is not his. For how long? And makes himself rich with loans. And of course, yeah, you uh, take out loans and you can accumulate tremendous amounts of cash, but it's not yours. <laughs> you know, your creditors are going to want it back with interest on their, on their part, right? Will not your creditors rise up suddenly and those who uh, collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them. And so, yeah, you, you're maintaining this extravagant lifestyle, but is any of it real? 
How much of it is, is, uh, is fraudulent? How much of it is uh, not even yours? Because you have looted many nations, all the remainder of the peoples will loot you because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. Now notice, what defiles the land? We've seen uh, there's um, sexual sins can defile the land. We've seen bloodshed can defile the land. Here we see business practices that defile the land. Here we see uncontrolled debt that can defile the land. And I find that's interesting as well. All right, so principles there. And it all comes out of Habakkuk, isn't that something? So uh, there's more. Verse 9 says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You know, how many people justify a life of crime just, you know, just this, just this one thing, just for a little while, just, you know, um, and, then, and, then, and then I swear, just one more job and then I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to walk away. I just, I got to get, you know, once we just do this one last bank heist and then we're set for life, okay? Or this one last drug deal, or this one last whatever, okay? And, uh, and I know what's wrong. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to be a better person. I'm trying to change my life. It's just one more, okay? It's every movie plot you've ever seen, right? <laughs> and then, of course, something always goes wrong with that just one more. Oh, isn't that sad? He was trying to change his life. He's a criminal. And, yeah, this is what he gets, okay? Yeah, I know he's trying to get out of it. Okay, give me sympathy for the criminal. So, um, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Uh, verse 10, you have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many people. So you are sinning against yourself. The damage you're doing to you and your posterity. Surely the stone wall will cry out from the wall and the rafter will answer it from the framework. And uh, whatever you built with this, uh, with these uh, unrighteous gains will testify against you. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Yeah, all the best laid plans of mice and men. Imagine the whole course of human history and everything that the Satan thought he was going to accomplish and it all comes crashing down at Armageddon. <laughs> and Jesus says, all right, let me tell you now, here's the new course of human history with the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. All right, so we have that. Now, on the flip side, wealth through work, by your own hand, that is, via your own participation and contribution. Is that a better way of saying it? Via your own participation and contribution. Okay, It doesn't have to be manual labor. It could be white collar as well as blue collar, whatever it is. But you yourself are working. You yourself are producing. You are engaged in a pursuit that creates value. Even if it doesn't seem like it sometimes. <laughs> okay? <laughs> even if you think, wow, what am I really doing here? Okay? Well, your boss seems to think there's value to it. That's why he's paying you. The owner of the company is paying you to do this, so you think it's stupid, but he thinks it's worth whatever it is he's paying you. So there is a value to that. Well, through work is true and productive. And so here too, uh, not only do we have it in Proverbs 13, 11, but 
It's a concept we've previously looked at back in chapter 12, you might recall, verses 12 through 14. The wicked man desires the booty of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. Remember, we talked about roots and fruits. Try to make it memorable, roots and fruits. You're putting down roots, and and roots don't grow right away. Roots take time. You're planting a seed. A seed doesn't even start with roots until you plant the seed, and then the roots start coming out, and then the fruits start coming up. And and well, that's that's too slow. I just want to plunder this guy's booty. <laughs> okay, again, the get rich quick uh, quick schemes and that. Well, why work for it if I can just steal what that guy's got? Oh, wait a minute. Okay, <laughs> I'm on the verge of going political here. Okay, why work for it if you can just take what somebody else worked for? Right? It doesn't seem to be a common thought process these days in certain circles. Oh, maybe I'm imagining things. Um, Notice, the evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will escape from trouble. A a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words, but the deeds of a man's hands will return to him. And so we're talking about our own hands-on involvement in what we're saying and what we're doing and what we're producing and the satisfaction that can come with that. So if you didn't work for it, if you didn't produce it, is there a satisfaction with that? Is there a satisfaction if it's just handed to you or if you stole it? Or or is there satisfaction if you produced it, if you did it, if you worked for it? All, of course, in the will of God, for His in grace, for His good pleasure. Okay, We have other passages that talk about the guy can be filthy rich and have no satisfaction of any kind. He's the most miserable Scrooge McDuck you've ever seen, right? Ebenezer Scrooge, miserable. A miser going around town grumbling at Christmas time and, and no joy at all. All right. So that's uh, chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. The deeds of a man's hands will return to him. You know, when you stand in the judgment seat of Christ, when I stand in the judgment seat of Christ, you know what gets evaluated? What gets evaluated? Our production. Our production gets evaluated. We're to be productive. In secular life, and spiritual life, and all that we do is to be productive. All right. So, return on investment. How about Psalm 1? In whatever he does, he prospers. Ooh, I want that. (laughs) This is the real prosperity theology. Live your life in the Word of God. Somehow I fail to see those when they do preach the satanic prosperity theology. They're not recommending that their people saturate themselves with doctrine. They're not recommending that you live in the Word of God day and night. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You realize now you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're separated. You no longer walk as those unbelievers walk, as you used to walk, that you have a different standard for your thinking and standard for your activity and standard for your associates and your friends and and, uh, in the things that you do. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In His law He meditates day and night. And so, 
you know, if, if you've ended the day and you're getting ready for bed and you realize you haven't spent any time in the Scriptures that day, what have you done? Not, not once, not one verse, not one anything. What have you done? I recommend you uh, delay bedtime a little bit and get with the Lord. Get under the Word of God. Saturate your soul. In His law, He meditates day and night. I mean, if you're, if you're that absorbed by it and, and you're dreaming, what, what do you dream about? See, if you're, well, if you're in the Scriptures, you ever have Bible dreams? You ever dream about the Word of God? You ever dream about, oh, now I'm getting in trouble because I, I have strange dreams. <laughs> All right, so n- never mind. I'll take that back. But you still, you can meditate on His Word day and night. Just be thinking about the Lord as you drift off to sleep. Thanking Him. Close your day in prayer. Trust Him to you know, watch over you while you're sleeping. And then when you wake up in the morning, if you wake up in the morning, I say, all right, thank you, Father. It's a new day. Take it from there. Um, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Okay, so what does that mean? That means he's secure. That means he has roots. That means he's drawing the nourishment he needs because he's in the, the uh, law day and night. And then notice he's productive, yielding its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Okay? This is the real prosperity theology message. You're in the Scriptures day and night. You are productive. You are pursuing the will of God. You are stable, not unstable. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. So what do you want to be? The tree firmly planted, deep roots drawing the nourishment, producing fruit, or blowing away in the wind, okay? Easy come, easy go, drift wherever, Mr. Tumbleweed, right? Going wherever the wind blows you. No, that's not the Christian way of life. So that's Psalm 1-3. How about Ephesians 4-28? Here's some, we've gone through these before as well, but it's not worth, it's not, uh, repeating them is not difficult for me and it's a safeguard for you. Ephesians 4.28, he who steals must steal no longer. You know, if you were a car thief back before you got saved, I, you need a new line of work, <laughs> all right? Whatever it is. I used to know a burglar. He, he told me he would, he'd come to jail every so often. And, um, and yeah, he, he'd break into houses. That was his occupation, his vocation or whatever. And then very devoutly Catholic, very religious kind of guy, he prayed a lot. He, he told me that he, every time he broke into a house, he was praying that uh, the person inside, that there'd be nobody inside, and if there was somebody inside, they wouldn't have a gun. Or if they had a gun, that they'd be a bad shot, and he could run, you know. He had all these complicated prayers. And then, and then he'd ask me, he found out I was a pastor, he said, do you think, do you think the Lord answers those prayers? I said, I think you're not going to quit breaking into houses, <laughs> Okay. I think the Bible says thou shalt not steal. Let's start with that. Okay, then we'll work on your prayer life. Um, But it says he who steals must steal no longer. And and, and that same inmate, by the way, found me at Austin Bible Church um, at the old building on Woodrow. And I was just knocked on the door and he was going from church to church asking for money. And he... um, he knocked on the door while I was studying, and I opened the door, and his jaw dropped, and I, my jaw dropped. And <laughs> anyway, 
he, uh, he wasn't breaking into houses anymore. He was go- going to churches and asking for help. So I said, all right, I'm glad you're not breaking into, church, or breaking into churches or breaking into houses. Anyway, where am I now? Uh, Ephesians 4.28. He who steals, quit that, must steal no longer, but rather he must labor. Okay? Labor was not assigned to Adam after he sinned. Labor was assigned to Adam before he sinned. Labor is not a consequence of the curse. Labor is a blessing. Everything was very good. It was a blessing. It's good to work. Performing with his own hands what is good. There's the hands again, the same idiom we had in Proverbs. So that he will have something to share with one who has need. Do you notice that? No, it's not just for your needs saying, well, if I work, I can take care of my own needs. That's beside the point. (laughs) Okay? You're going to work and you're going to have an abundance, not just the bare minimum, not just, you know, subsistence and what you need to, to survive, you know. I mean, how much do you got to provide for yourself? How much does a single guy need? Uh, how much does a married guy need? How much does a, a family man need? And all this stuff. And it's, it's, uh, it's curious. Some of the social engineers can't figure out why married men uh, with children make more money than single men do. Well, because they need to and they want to and they do. That's why. All right. Having something to share with one who has need. And so that's the blessing, and that's the design, and that's the testimony that we have. How about 1 Thessalonians 4.11? 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Do you have an ambition? This is part of our sanctification. This is part of walking in the light. Um why God has called us, how we love the brethren. Verse 9 says, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Indeed, you practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. And here's a love application. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. See, remember that proverb where the guy was all not staying at home and all running all to all the nations and doing all this and doing all that. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. In other words, you're hands-on, you're personally involved, you are doing the work so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. This is uh, our blessing in terms of the love of the brethren. We want, uh, we want to be working hard. We want to be able to provide for one another, to bless one another. We take care of us is what we do as a local church. Likewise, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 8 and 11. Now these two epistles have no rebuke. It's not, they're like the anti-Corinth. There's no rebuke, but there are certain things that get repeated and emphasized in such a way that Reading between the lines, it appears that there was an issue here amongst some, perhaps, that uh, the busybodies here. So verse uh, 7 says, You yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. 
And that's what it comes down to. Are you living a disciplined life or an undisciplined life? Verse 6, let me back up. Verse 6, and it's a love application, right? Verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the tradition which you receive from us. So that's the warning. And then, you know, you followed our example. We didn't act like that. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And that's the design and that's the purpose. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves a model for you so that you would follow our example. In fact, there's only one category of, uh, in, the, in the church age whereby God will set people aside and remove them from the, the, the workforce, and that's the ministers of the Word of God. Apostles in the early church, pastors today. It may be that a flock decides they don't want their shepherd working all those hours because they want their shepherd studying to feed the flock. And so that's the exception to the rule. And Paul indicates that there in verse 9. He said, you know, even though uh, we could do that, we chose not to, to give you that example. To offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. Okay? Anyway. By by the way, I'm not preaching to anybody here. I don't want anybody to feel bad. I'm smiling at him. He's smiling at me. We get the fact that you could be out of work and unemployed for a season, and God knows that. God tests us in that regard. So, not... uh, not preaching it anyway. All right. Um, when we were with you, we used to give you this order: if anyone is not willing to work, and then he's not willing to, and then he's not to eat either. And that's the key. This is talking about the willful God, the guy that's not working and, and is not going to work. He's not going to work tomorrow. He's not going to work the next day. He's not even looking for work. He doesn't want to. That's a whole different picture than uh, how the Father tests us during seasons of unemployment. All right. Um. So wealth through work is true and it is productive. And it's not this dis, uh, dissipant life here, this, um, as it says in verse 11, we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. So such a person we command and exhort in the Lord to work in quiet fashion, eat their own bread, and do not grow weary of doing good. All right, so it's True work. It's with your own hands. It's productive. It's abundant. Finally, Titus. This one's not as well known, and I don't often turn here. Titus chapter 3, verse 8 and 14. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want, to, I want you to speak confidently so that you have, so that those who have believed in God will be careful to engage in good deeds. Notice, you're not working to get saved, but if you are saved, you better be the hardest working people out there. Living out your salvation, living out your faith, bearing the spiritual fruits that He has for you, and also working in secular life, being productive. I want you to be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. We are to be productive in our Christian walk. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning. And um, Artemis or Tychicus is coming, and Zenos the lawyer. Apollos, help them on their way. Verse 14, 
Uh, notice, diligently help Zenus, the lawyer. You realize that? <laughs> Lawyers can get saved? Imagine that. And Apollos on their way, so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. See, it's not just a financial thing. It's not just, well, you have extra money and they've got a need, so, you know. It's the fruitfulness of it. They will not be unfruitful. You have the opportunity to bear eternal fruit for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what it comes down to, not whether or not, you know, Apollos has a, a bus ticket to Rome or whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's the fruit that's being borne by the believers that are being assigned the blessings of supporting the ministry of the Word of God. All right, so we have the issue there. Okay, so wealth without work or wealth through work? What's the true wealth? Where's the value in acquiring that wealth? Let me get back to Proverbs then. Introduce the next section. Verses 12 through 19 is a, is a unit. And um, although it's funny, the different... Uh, Hebrew scholars that, that outline the poetry and do their sentence diagrams and find the, the inclusio, they, they sometimes disagree with one another. And uh, I think I disagree with some of them. But anyway, I'll show you what an inclusio is. It's kind of fun. It's like um, you've got uh, different poetic structures in the Old Testament, New Testament alike. You've got, uh, sometimes I call a sandwich construction where you've got a top slice of bread, a bottom slice of bread, and then everything in the middle is kind of the meat of the sandwich. Um, You've got some other structures, some, some chiasm and chiastic structures and that where you're, you're making a crisscross pattern and you're showing things in the middle. There's different, uh, different ways to, to put this together. But here in verses 12 through 19 we have a pretty long one. One of the longest I'm aware of actually. So let's read it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And that's the one we'll spend the most amount of our time on I think. Uh, because it's parallel with verse 19 and it makes the point repeatedly. Uh, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And we can't abuse this because uh, this can get twisted into a prosperity theology too. If you don't get what you want, then you're sick. If you get what you want, you're happy. So life is about getting what you want, <laughs> right? Is that how we preach this? How does that work? All right. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it. But the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. Good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. Okay, and we get to be grace productive in verse 15. And we're going to have some fun with that because grace is not just this infinite thing sitting around that God throws at us every now and then. It could actually be produced and uh, how do we produce it? How do we generate it? How do we, uh, does that mean we earn it or deserve it? Of course not. It wouldn't be grace at that point. But how do we, how does it generate it? How is it produced? And verse 15 tells us. But the way of the treacherous is hard. Verse 16, every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays folly. Verse 17, a wicked messenger falls into adversity, but a faithful envoy brings healing. 
Verse 18, poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. And then finally, verse 19 that closes this, desire realized is sweet to the soul. So boy, if you get what you want, hmm, that's sweet. But it is an abomination to fools to turn away from evil. All right, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take, in the subpoints here, we're going to take verses 12 through 19 and we're going to spell it out and kind of expand upon these things. And hopefully we can uh, do so with, with some caution and not plunge into the, the sad error on this. All right, so how do we draw the inclusio? Glad you asked. All right. And, okay, I understand fancy pastors like to draw. So I'll make a new note about that. All right. Um, and so we have, and it's sometimes it's drawn out this way. There's a statement that it's made and it's marked with an A. Okay. And then we've got another statement down below that's usually marked with an A prime like that. Okay. There's different ways to annotate it and there's different things like that. Um, and so we have that. And then we have a B statement, right? In the next verse. And then there'll be a B hash or a B prime or a B star. They'll use different markers. Okay? And then a C and a C prime. Okay? And then a D and a D. Things like that. Okay? And uh, there's other, other ways to do it. Sometimes it's um, A, B, C and then it's um, A, B, C, like that. Right? Have you ever seen these before? Okay. Anyway, this is, this is common uh, in, in Hebrew poetry, and sometimes we find uh, some chiastic structures in the New Testament as well. I think most because they were also Jewish. <laughs> and even though they're writing in Greek, the, the thought process uh, works that way too. All right. So we have hope deferred and desire realized. And so we have uh, between verse 12 and verse 19 we have this, uh, these concepts that are paralleled. Hope deferred and desire fulfilled both in verse 12 and then in verse 19 it's desire realized. All right. So are you getting what you want and are you getting it right now? Or are you not getting what you want and is it put off and put off and put off and you never get it? And you never get it. Okay? And uh, so we've got hope deferred and we've got desire realized in verse 12 and in verse 19. And then in verse 13 and verse 18, in fact we've got a double chiasm here or a double parallelism here. Because in verse 13 we're told despises the word and is in debt to it. Despises the word and is in debt to it. And that's kind of a fun concept when you start skipping Bible class and you despise the word and then you find that you're in debt to it. You find that God holds you accountable for what you should have learned and you bailed on and now you're in debt to it. And He starts to test you and discipline you and starts to put you in circumstances where had you learned that doctrine you'd have been a lot better off kind of fun. All right. Parallel to that in verse 18, um, 
not despising the word, but in um, regarding, uh, but in poverty and shame to him who neglects discipline. And so there's a parallelism in that, in uh, neglecting the word and then being in debt. That's in verse 13, the one who despises the word will be in debt to it. And then verse 18, poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline. So that's a clear parallel. But then also, regard, um, all who fear the commandments will be rewarded. That's the second part of verse 13. The one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. And what's the second half of verse 18? He who regards reproof will be honored. So there's the reward, there's the honor, there's uh, fearing the commandment, there's regarding the reproof. So there, that's a double parallel actually. Uh, there's two links between verse 13 and verse 18. So if I had to draw out my prime, I uh, should probably put a B, you know, uh, a double B, and a double B like that. All right. Now here's where some folks struggle, but I, I like my outline better than some. Uh, there's another one, by the way, if you want to read the New American Commentary on Proverbs that gets more complicated than this, and uh, I think it's unnecessary. Uh, verse 14 with verse 17. The, the fountain of life with the snares of death, and then there's falls into adversity versus brings healing. Okay, So verse 14 says, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. That's in verse 14. Fountain of life. Who wouldn't want that? Okay, And to turn aside from the snares of death. Well, that sounds great. And then in verse 17, um, there's falling into adversity, the wicked messenger who falls into adversity, and then there's the faithful envoy who brings healing. So a fountain of life, bringing healing, uh, snares of uh, death, falling into adversity. I, I see the, the tandem there between verse 14 and verse 17. And then there's 15 and 16. Favor and treachery, with prudence and folly. Verses 15 and 16. Favor and treachery in a parallel contrast with prudence and folly. Verses 15 and 16 here. Good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. Verse 16 says, Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays folly. Anyway, that's the that's the structure. And if, if we accept it as that, there's other ways to outline them. Um, like I say, in the New American Commentary, they, they, do, they would have A and B the same way I do with 12 and 19, with 13 and 18. But then they do something different with um, 14, 15, 16, 17. And I just, I just don't see it like that. So I'm going to teach it like this and we'll see how the Lord uh, works in that. All right. Any questions on that? Understand how that comes together? All right. Well, then we're going to back up and uh, we're going to focus, and we'll do this next week because it's already 11 o'clock. Hope deferred. So I'm going to have to defer this teaching on hope deferred. Okay. But I'm only going to defer it for a week. And that won't make your heart sick. Um, but we're going to talk about this. What does it mean when you don't get what you want? And what does it mean if you get what you want? And if you always get what you want, is that a good thing? 
And it's like you're eating candy every day, okay? Because it, it's sweet. Don't you want that all the time? And what if you want something that God doesn't want? Shouldn't we have what God wants? Are these our desires anyway or are these God's desires? <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll answer all that. We'll spend some time on hope deferred. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this time. Thank you for um, the blessing we have in the middle of our week. It's like a like a oasis in the desert, Father. It's a place of refuge in the wilderness. And uh, going through a week of of uh, this world and the angelic conflict and everything, and and here in the midweek Wednesday we get to come together and and uh, fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. We get to study the living and abiding Word of God and. Uh, What a delight, Father. Thank you for giving us this refuge. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.